Really good to see all of you here today. Can you hear me clearly? Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, we pray that you may help us to not just understand your word, but to apply it in our lives, so that you may be master of everything we do. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I was having dinner with a relative in Malaysia one day. We were sitting beside the road at a roadside restaurant. After eating a delicious meal of seafood, prawns and crabs, I wiped my hands with the tissue paper. So I asked him, I said, hey, where do I throw the tissue paper away? And he said to me, you're not in Singapore anymore, you know. He said, no one cares where you throw the tissue paper. Then he took the tissue paper box from the table and he started plucking tissue after tissue after tissue and throwing it on the floor. You see, he said, there's no law, no one cares. And now this is an absolutely true story, I'm not making it up. So he then hands me the tissue paper box and he says, take it, take it, throw it on the floor. You can do it. Well, unfortunately, I just couldn't do it, right? Because you can take me out of Singapore, but you can't take the Singapore out of me. Now, behind this uh, true story is the question of today's passage. Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? See, as we've been studying the Bible, studying God's Word in the book of Romans, we've learned that Christianity is different from all the other religions in the world. Because all the other religions in the world are defined by the things that you do. D-O, right? What must I do in order to please God? What must I do in order to save myself? What must I do in order to reach heaven? Religion is all about me doing things. And for the Jews, they had the same idea with the law. What must I do in the law? in order to save myself? What commandments must I do in order to be right with God? And they lived their entire lives controlled and ruled by the law. But when Jesus came, Christianity says that it's not about the word do, but the word done. What has been done for us? God forgave us our sins. It's been done. Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sins. Done. We are saved because of the grace of God. It is done. And that's why in the beginning, when we studied the book Romans, in chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known through which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So in the beginning of the book of Romans, we see that following Jesus, becoming a Christian, is all about believing in the done work of God, the righteousness that comes from God to be justified freely by grace, the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So the question now that is posed to us, probably by the Jewish Christians within the context of the letter to Rome, was what now happens 
when we do not have the law. Does that mean that I can sin freely? Does that mean that, that, that there's nothing stopping me from sinning anymore? What stops me from sinning? See, for the Jew who was raised as an infant in the law, whose law governed every part of his life, it was unthinkable not to have the law as something which controlled sin. That without law, there would be anarchy, lawlessness and mayhem. So for many of us, we, we've seen the, the t-shirts where it says, Singapore is a fine country. Have you ever seen the t-shirt where it says, Singapore is a fine country? You can go to uh, uh, some of the tourist shops, they have that t-shirt. It's not saying that it's fine as in good. It's saying that there are many fines in Singapore, many laws and many rules. But imagine if tomorrow the Singapore government said, okay, we're going to remove all these laws. No more speeding laws. You can drive at whatever speed you feel like. No more laws against littering and killer litter. No more laws against selling drugs. What would happen tomorrow? Does that mean that I can drive at 150 kilometers down the neighborhood next to my school? Uh, Does that mean that I can throw litter out of my HDB flat from the top floor? Does that now mean that I should sell and buy drugs? And that is the question that this passage is asking. Without the law, what stops us as Christians sinning and doing the wrong thing? Well, verse 16 to 18 begins what God has to say. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now the Bible begins with a very general principle which would have been very familiar to the people of the ancient world. The principle of slavery. Now the ancient world, as many as I was reading, two-thirds of the people in the Roman Empire were slaves at some point in time. That's a really, really high percentage of people who were slaves. So people understood what it meant, the principle of slavery. People were slaves because they offered to fight for kings. People were slaves when they became in debt and they wanted to pay off their, uh, their, their debtors. So maybe, you know, you become slaves to, I don't know, DBS or UOB, I don't know, something like that. Captured peoples were forced into slavery. But in such a world, how do you recognize the master and how do you recognize the slave? The slave is the one who obeys his or her master. So in the ancient world, I'm sitting here and I tell you to get me my dinner, clean the floor, flesh your slippers, whatever. I'm the master and you are the slave. So the Bible takes this principle and says, look at the world around you. What do you see? Who do you see? You see people. Now I'm sure that if you were to go out to Coven or to Nex and you went to ask the people, are they slaves or free? Most people would say that they are free because we live in a world which treasures and values freedom. But the Bible says that when you look out into the world, you only see two sorts of people. They are slaves to sin or they are slaves to God. 
And this is what this passage is saying in verse 16 to 18. It is an ontological question. It is a being question. Who am I? Who are we? Who are you? And the question is, are you a slave to sin? Are you a slave to God? Now, obviously, this passage is speaking to Christians. So it says that as Christians, we were once slaves to sin under the power of master sin. But by the grace of God, we've been freed from master sin. We've been freed from the power of sin. And today we are now slaves to God. See, that's one of the problems that uh, we have to face in this world. Because we think that we are free. We think that we have an illusion of freedom. But if you're not a slave to God, then you're not free, but instead you're a slave to sin. And that's why when you look in verse 17 to verse 18, it talks about past tense. In the past, you used to be slaves to sin, but now you've given your allegiance to someone else and you are set free from sin and you've become a slave to righteousness. Now this is a very radical thinking because we often think that the cross of Jesus Christ gives us forgiveness. So if you look at the next slide, we think that the cross of Jesus Christ just wins us forgiveness and eternal life. But what it actually says is the cross of Jesus Christ not only gives us forgiveness and eternal life, but it wins us victory over master sin. And because of the victory that Jesus Christ has won, it says, why do you want to go back to serving master sin? Why do you want to go back to your past when you are now forgiven having eternal life, and have freedom from sin to serve God instead. I want you to apply your mind because in verse 16, something very deep is happening. If you look at verse 16, which I'll try to illustrate from this slide, it says, when you are slaves to sin, it leads to death. But if you are slaves to obedience, it leads to righteousness. Now, if it was the Gospel of Andrew Ong, uh, you would think that, the, that obedience to sin would lead to death, but slavery to obedience would lead to life, because the opposite of death is life. But it doesn't lead to life. Obedience doesn't lead to life, because we already have life because of what has been done for us by Jesus Christ on the cross But instead, when you are a slave to obedience, it leads to righteousness because it leads to the righteous life that God wants you to live now that you are slave to Him. Do you notice what is being said here? You're not being obedient to God so that you can win eternal life. You already have eternal life. You already have God. You already have forgiveness. Therefore, be obedient to God so that you may be righteous. So the application at this point is, who is your master and who are you a slave to? When I was a young Christian, I used to make deals with God. And it may sound familiar to you, it used to go along the lines of, you know, dear father, I'm willing to obey you in these areas, but I don't really want to obey you in this area. Please forgive me, but I don't want to obey you in this area. And I know that, you know, I'm sorry, but you forgive me. 
But when I reflect on that, that sort of attitude, I realize that I'm not treating God as my master. Who is my master at that point? My master is sin. I'm going back towards master sin. Because I'm not willing to obey God. By my actions, I'm showing that I'm a slave to master sin. So the pastor Dick Lucas said, this passage actually speaks to those who he calls are careless Christians. Careless Christians. Careless Christians are those who think that we can get away with disobeying God and still being forgiven for those things which we knowingly and rebelliously do in those disobedience. I know someone who is knowingly and willfully in a sinful relationship, but that person says to me, I know I'm wrong, but I know that God will still forgive me. Is that true? Based on this passage, can you knowingly, year after year, live in sin and still expect that God will forgive you? This passage says that forgiveness is not guaranteed and forgiveness is not automatic if you turn your back against Master God and go back to serve Master Sin. Because if you are obedient, a slave to sin, it will lead to death because your true master now is sin. Are you a careless Christian? Is your master God or is your master sin? Again, I knew of a Christian friend many years ago who from university days was a respected Christian leader. But he was hiding a secret sin that no one knew about. It was only many, many years later that this sin came to light. But at the end of the day, God doesn't care about outward appearances. See, look at what it says there in verse 17. What does God care about? God cares about the heart. But thanks be to God that though you used to be a slave to sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. In the ESV translation it says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. What is in view here is heart language, allegiance language, commitment language. At the end of the day, what God wants is from your heart to be allegiance, to give allegiance and commitment to Him. And that's why you are willing to be His slave, not to sin, but to obedience and righteousness. If someone wants were to come to you and ask you, what, how do you become a Christian? Most of us would say, believe in Jesus. Right? That's what most of us would say. If you want to be safe, what do you do? Become a Christian? Believe in Jesus. But the Bible actually says there is much, much, much more to that. It means that you must be obedient from the heart to a pattern of teaching. It means that we must accept certain truths about Jesus and God. It means we must be obedient to a certain way of living, a pattern of living that God wants. Too often in the modern world, in today's culture, people say, well, you know, to be a Christian, you just have to believe in Jesus. 
But it doesn't mean that you have to accept that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Or that Jesus was born, uh, you know, as He was fully God and fully man. It doesn't mean you have to believe that Jesus rose from the dead or went to the cross. They also want to tell us that you don't have to obey a certain pattern of living. But the Bible says very clearly that that is not true. The reality is that if you want to become a, a, a Christian, you have to be obedient from the heart to the pattern of teaching about the person of Christ and God and the pattern of living that He wants you to have. Now, if you're here today and you're living a life of sin, then this passage is warning you that by your actions you will show who your master is. And unless you are obedient to the pattern of teaching that God has told you in His Word, you are not saved, you are not forgiven. You have to turn back to Him. Now, in verse 19 to 20, the Bible goes on and says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness or sanctification in other translations. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the benefit you reap to, leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, it begins in verse 19 by a bit of an apology. Saying, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but I have to use this example from everyday life because of your limitation as a human being. Now, I think the reason why the Bible apologizes for using the example of slavery is because we think of slavery in a negative way. Nobody thinks of slavery in a positive way. Right? Slavery is a, has a lot of negative connotations. When we think of slavery, we think of like, you know, black people in America, they're in chains, uh, there's suffering, there is deprivation, there is cruelty. So, to be, to be transferred from the slavery of master sin to the slavery of God, you kind of think, well, what's, the, what's, what's so good about that? You know, I just get transferred from one sl slave owner to another slave owner, maybe the other slave owner is just better than the other one. Isn't it better to move from slavery to freedom? But then the Bible says that that's actually a, uh, a limitation of the analogy or the illustration of the metaphor. Because when we look at this point, uh, it's fleshed out for us in this passage. and says, no, actually slavery to sin is a terrible thing. But slavery to Christ and to God, that is a very positive thing. Because when you are a slave to God, you are have You've been given righteousness, holiness, eternal life. And that's why in verse 21 to 22, it looks at it from the, from the perspective of farming or agriculture. It says, what is the benefit? Right? What benefit did you reap from following different masters? 
Now the word benefit here, if you look in verse 21, is actually translated from the word fruit. Right? So it's very simple. What fruit do you get and what do you reap from following one master and the other master? Right? It's, it's the idea of growing something, cultivating something. So I, I live this way of life, I follow this master. What do I reap? What do I cultivate? What fruit do I get? Well, it says if you follow master sin, you give your body... To impurity. Uh, impurity is usually a word associated with sexuality or sexual sins. You give yourself over to wickedness, uh, which is a word for sinful behavior or lawlessness in general. And what fruit will you reap? What benefit will you get from giving yourself over to sin in this way? Well, you get death and destruction and shame. That is the fruit that you will eat, that you will reap. From following master sin. See again when we think about the the reality of this world, we think of freedom as something which is really, really positive. But freedom actually leads us back to the mastery or slavery of sin. You think of the the place where people are most free. Complete freedom, almost. And that is the internet. The internet is the place of complete freedom. You can be who you want to be, you can say what you want to be in almost complete anonymity, and no one can censure you. But what do you see on the internet in its complete freedom? Uh, You don't see more creativity, more... um, intellectual stimulation or revival of art, you see more vulgarity, more hate, more pornography, more blood, more gore, more violence. See, the more freedom you have, it actually shows the greatest sin has control of us. I remember C.S. Lewis said, you know, every day as a Christian, uh, we pray the Lord's Prayer. And what does the Lord's Prayer say? Every day we don't use this. We pray, thy will be done. Your will be done. But the opposite is, if we turn away from God and seek to do our own will, then God says to us, your will be done. Thy will be done. So we either say to God, thy will be done, or God says to us, thy will be done. But when we choose to do our own will, we're actually going back to master sin and to slavery. And the harvest, the fruit that we, re- that we will eat from it is, is like this, right? It is the rotten fruit of death and shame. And that's why in verse 19, we can't quite see it in our English translations, but that's actually uh, an imperative, right? It says in verse, uh, the second half of verse 19, but now offer yourselves. That's not a suggestion, but that is a command. Because of the fruit the bad fruit of following master's sin and what God has done for you, you must offer yourself. It is an imperative command instruction. You must offer yourselves to the new master, to God, to Jesus Christ. Now, if you look here in the whole section from verse 19 onwards, if you look at the next slide, it always talks about what we were in the past and who we are now. Now that we have been saved, now that we have been set free from the control of master sin, you must live a life of holiness, of righteousness. 
I think that when we really pay attention to this passage, when I reflect on it myself, it really confronts me. Because sometimes as a Christian, we think that all we need to do is not sin. Did you ever think like that? As long as I don't sin, I'm okay. I just resist temptation and not sin. But God wants us to go beyond not sinning and live lives of righteousness, of holiness. The word there literally is sanctification, right? Of righteousness leading to sanctification. The Christian cannot be satisfied with just living a neutral life where I do not sin anymore. The Christian is exhorted to live a life of righteousness, of sanctification and holiness. We no longer just live lives in neutral, but we, we actually want to do good, to be holy, to be righteous and sanctified in the way that we live. But I think too often as, as Christians, we put our, our Christian life on neutral. We don't actually move forward in our Christian life. We think as long as I don't sin, that's good enough, but, but that's not good enough. We actually need to live lives of righteousness. So consider the fruit of your life. Consider what you reap in your life. Is it shame and death or is it increasing holiness and righteousness and sanctification? See, what does it mean to be a Christian? In one way, being a Christian means that you believe in a certain set of things. I believe in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in a set of beliefs. But the Bible says that it is more, much more than just believing in a certain set of beliefs or doctrines. It is actually having God as our master. God must be our master and we must be slaves to God living a life of holiness and righteousness. Because if that is the case, then the end result is eternal life. Now again, it ends in verse 23 by saying that, look, eternal life is not something that we earn, but eternal life is the gift of God. We already have eternal life. And therefore, we should live a life of obedience. Why should we go back to earn wages of sin which leads to death when God has already given us eternal life, the greatest gift of all? Why give up the free gift? Now, one of the saddest things I heard in my recent holiday to Australia was uh, I was told of this person, I don't know of this person, but he was apparently a, a, a prominent Christian leader. And he had a family, he was very successful in his career, he was respected. But somewhere along the way, he chose to return to master sin. He chose uh, what was shameful. And he deliberately and willfully turned away from God to serve master sin. Uh, it was very sad because many years later, uh, he reaped only bitterness and disappointment. And his whole life fell apart and he committed suicide. Now that's not just the saddest thing that he committed suicide, but the saddest thing to me was he had eternal life. He had received the gift of eternal life. But he chose to earn the wages of sin instead. And today he, does no, longer, he no longer has eternal life, but has death and eternal separation with God the Father. See, it was very sad because this man obviously knew his Bible well. 
But his spiritual knowledge was not expressed in wholehearted obedience to God. He wasn't committed to God. His allegiance was not to God. His master was sin instead. I want us to reflect on that and remember the truth. Who is our true master? When we are on the internet and we are tempted to click on that website, think to yourself, who is your true master? When you are tempted to enter in that search term on Google, you know, ask yourself, who is your true master? When you are tempted to say something mean or unkind or gossip about someone from our tongues, Ask ourselves, who is our true master? When our hands are tempted to take something which is not ours, ask ourselves, who is our true master? Again, I was reading C.S. Lewis and he compared the battle for holiness as a war. And he's saying that many times Christians think that it's no big deal having a small sin. But he said every time we sin in a small way, it is like being in a war and you lose a little bit of a beach, and you lose a bridge, or you lose a small hill. But you would never say that these are small things, because you put together enough small bridges and small hills and small beaches, and, they, and you lose the battle. Wake up one morning, and you're back in bondage, and you're in slavery to master sin. See, I'm sure for that man in Australia... He didn't wake up one morning and say, I'm going back to slavery, to master sin, and I'm going to turn my back to God. But it would have started years ago. A small sin here, a small sin there, and it leads to a terrible end. So I pray that we heed God's word, all of us today, and to really ask ourselves, who is our true master? Because in verse 23 it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we want to ask that you may help us through the Holy Spirit to search the innermost depths of our hearts, to reveal to us the hypocrisy the deceitfulness and the hiddenness of ourselves, the deceit, where there may be areas in our lives where we are unwilling to surrender to you. Help us to see what a terrible master sin is and that there is no way we should ever go back to be slaves of master sin. That it will only lead to things for which we are ashamed of that will lead to death. But help us instead to give our lives to righteousness, to holiness and sanctification, to be slaves of you in every way, confident that the gift of eternal life is already ours. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.